0: Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. For they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
1: And Nigel's going to come and bring our reading from Luke 21.
2: The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 21 beginning at verse 12, and if you have a Bible, it's on page 1056. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, Nigel. Uh, We're going to do things slightly differently tonight, Uh, so I'm going to speak for a little bit. Uh, last week, I met Mike, uh, who comes to our church, uh, and I'm going to interview him because he is an expert in this field and is leading a charity that is doing amazing things uh, with the church across the world. Then we're going to finish, and then we're going uh, to do our response in a tiny bit of a different way, uh, using the cards that you should have all received uh, when you came in. But that, we'll do that in a second. Uh, Richard, if we could have the first slide, please. Uh, I... I went around TripAdvisor the other day, and I managed to find uh, some of the more ridiculous comments on... You don't have to look very hard, clearly. And um, and these show that when British people go on holiday, our expectations are often uh, pretty wacky. And so this is just a little insight into that. Uh, The first person wrote, uh, the beach was simply too sandy. Uh, Next one said, we bought Ray-Ban sunglasses for five euros from a street trader, only to find out they were fake. (laughs) Uh, Next one said, it took us us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It only took the Americans three hours to get back to America. It's not fair. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. My fiance and I booked a twin bedded room but we were placed in a double-bedded room. We now hold you responsible for the fact that I am pregnant. (laughs) Next one. Uh, There are too many Spanish people. The receptionist speaks Spanish. The food is Spanish. There are too many foreigners. Doesn't make you proud to be British. Um, Next one. I was bitten by a mosquito. No one said they could bite. Next one, I think it should be explained in the brochure that the local shop does not sell proper biscuits like custard creams or ginger nuts. Next one, it's lazy of the local shopkeepers to close in the afternoons. I often wanted to buy things during siesta time. Their being closed should be banned. And last but not least, on my holiday in Goa, to Goa in India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. Oh, dear. Um, It may be... You may have put some of those on on TripAdvisor yourself. Um, It it may be that that the spirit of those uh, comments are strangely familiar to you as a reader of the New Testament. Many people, whether they've been Christians for a short time or a long time, have a sense of disappointment with the experience of being a Christian. And we assume... That is because God or the church has let us down. uh, That somehow uh, we've been diddled or someone's uh, pulled a fast one on us. But it may be our expectations were way off in the first place. Now, you might wish that the Beatitudes of Jesus that we've been looking at over these last weeks, you may wish they ended in a better place than blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You might well wish that it ended somewhere else. that was a lot more to do with uh, joy or peace or good relationships or seeing the glory of God. But what does Jesus do? He ends these amazing, powerful, potent little dynamites of uh, sayings with saying blessed are those who are persecuted. You might wish that the Beatitudes don't end so miserably. But he says it because he expects suffering and conflict and people getting angry and people mocking us and people doing worse than that, he expects that to be a normal and a regular part of the Christian life. Just as much as mourning, just as much as seeking to keep peace, uh, just as much as hungering and thirsting after righteousness. we have the next slide, uh, Richard. Uh, n- next one after that, that's great. So, very quickly, who does Jesus say are blessed? In, in verse 10, he says it's those of us who are persecuted because of righteousness. So it's not persecuted because we're really annoying, or persecuted because we're bigots, or persecuted because we have really judgmental problems with people. It's people who are persecuted because of righteousness or persecuted because of what we do in the name of Jesus. So he's saying that there will be times when our following Jesus angers other people, frustrates them, challenges them, or undermines them. That might be on a one-to-one basis, or it might be the wider society having problems with us as Christians. A recent report by the guy who's now the Bishop of Truro said this. It said that Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. Uh, Richard, go to the next slide, please. I want you to get... Here's a number. It's an important number when it comes to understanding the persecution of Christians today. I'm going to give you three choices as to what the number stands for. See if you can work out what it is. So choice A is that's the number of Christians... ...who are currently in prison for their faith around the world. That's the first one. Uh, Secondly, that's the number of Christians who have been arrested for their faith this year. Thirdly, that is the number of Christians who are killed because of their faith every month. So you've got three choices. Uh, Is it the number of Christians who are in prison... Okay, is it the number of people who've been arrested this year because of their faith? Is it the number of people who are killed in a month? Because just very quickly, turn to the people around you. See if you can come up with an answer. Okay, okay, okay. So you've only got one vote. You can't multiple votes. Uh, So who thinks it's, first of all, the number of people who are currently in prison because of their faith? Raise your hands. Okay, nobody. Who thinks it's the number of people who have been in prison this year? Wow. So you all think it's the number of Christians who have been killed every month. Yeah, you're all right. You're all right. So give yourself a massive pat on the shoulders, except, of course, it's a terrible thing. This afternoon we had a brilliant service here, Uh, with uh, the uh, police. And it was an amazing service that they put on every year. Uh, That is for uh, the families of people who've died in road traffic accidents. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was very thoughtful, very genuine, very caring, uh, and really, really attentive to the needs of those families. If I remember my fact right, there were 50 people killed on the roads uh, last year in Hampshire. And that is terrible, and for each family, that will represent massive tragedy. But then you think about 345, and that is the number of Christians every single month across the world who are killed, not sort of randomly in an accident, but who are killed because they are a Christian. So someone has decided that because of their faith, they're gonna put someone else to death. And that puts what we are talking about into some kind of perspective i am going to ask Mike uh, to come and join me. Mike, come and stand up here with me, if you don't mind. I met Mike uh, last week for the first time, and we're going to find out a tiny bit about what he does and what he's involved with. But he he is the guy on the ground uh, when we talk about this stuff. So, Mike, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Mike, just tell us, you're particularly involved in the Middle East. Tell us what the situation is on the ground in the Middle East for Christians.
3: So, we work principally in Iraq, and... If you watch the news, you might just possibly have seen something about Iraq in the last few weeks, but it has been swamped out by lots of other things that are going on at the moment. So in Baghdad, where we support St. George's, uh, the only Anglican church in Iraq, we're the funders of the medical clinic there, and other work, Um, there are huge protests against the government 400 people have been killed. So we see a lot about Hong Kong, that's terrible. I think two people have been killed. In Iraq, in the last uh, three or four weeks, 400 have been killed. Then in the, uh, in the north of Iraq, the situation is uh, that ISIS had swept across the north of Iraq, capturing all that territory. Around 100,000 Christians fled, um, and in fact, One really shocking statistic to kind of match that one. A million Christians have fled from Iraq in the last 16 years. A million. There were only 1.3 million in the first place.
1: And when we were talking last week, I think you said you asked some of those Iraqi Christians who fled whether they're ever going to go back, and they said... Yeah, we we. I was at a.
3: We support Christians who fled the country who are in Jordan. So we support around 6,000 Iraqi Christians in Jordan. And I was at a church there um, last year when I spoke, and I said to people, "So how many people come from Karakosh, which is a, the largest Christian town in the Nineveh Plain in the north of Iraq?" And they all put their hands up. So I said, "We understand things are improving a bit. We're there. We're working there, trying to help." Uh, how many of you would ever go back? Nobody put their hands up, and one woman shouted out in English, "Never These people have been seriously traumatized by their experiences. There are Christians still in Iraq, around two hundred thousand they 're getting our support, and then we 're trying to support people who fled the country
1: great mike you've got i know we 've got a video that we 're going to see yeah. in a second. Can you just introduce us and tell us what to look out for in this video
3: Yeah. so On the 6th of August 2014, so just over five years ago, ISIS, this crazy army of Islamist extremists, uh, swept across the north of Iraq. And as I say, about 100,000 Christians fled in the middle of the night, on the 6th of August 2014. And this woman that you're going to see on the video in a moment was one of those people. And she has a powerful story that I've met her a number of times. I met her last month again but this, this is from a couple of years back, so it speaks for itself to some extent. And I'll talk briefly about her, what happened next, and so on afterwards.
2: Poor people, they stay. Poor people. people, they stay
0: at their house. And after that, I took them as a And um, then, oh yeah, we one of my neighbours.
2: We heard after three or four years, one of my neighbors was only 40, 45. They found her dead on the roof of her house, just covered herself with a blanket, and dead just like this. Other people died, and they, they were buried in their gardens. the people are missing till now. My, my sister's neighbors, uh, father and uh, his uh, two, uh, two sons are missing children, and many people are missing. They don't have this faith in that they, they, we they, they were all dead. all the them just like
1: they to kill these women. They kidnap them, rap them, kill them some who tried to to escape
0: and were killed.
3: So this is just a tiny snatch of the experience and I could tell you scores of stories of, of people who experienced that on the 6th of August 2014, fled in the middle of the night. Imagine in, here in Winchester, this crazy army of people who cut people's heads off, throw people off buildings. Imagine if they were approaching Winchester, and you got a phone call, as she did, from her sister. You've got to get out, you've got to get out now. And you leave in the middle of the night with just the clothes on your back. That's what happened to these people. Now in Nam, the good thing about this, Simon, is that she came to to Jordan eventually. First of all, she went back, after ISIS had been pushed back, she went back to her house. Everything had been stolen. Everything had been burnt, and there were tunnels. ISIS dug tunnels from people's houses to other houses so that they could defend villages by getting around without people seeing them. She had a massive tunnel in her living room, and she decided to leave for Jordan. But the great thing is, I don't know if we can bring up that first picture. That's what she looked like two years ago. And if you can put the second picture up. And this is her now. And I can tell you the joy that I personally feel of the small part we've played in that, in helping this woman through that incredibly traumatic experience. Our Christian sister that we helped through various things in Jordan, supporting her. She's now volunteering for us and, as a, and she's working as an English teacher for us. And so, in a few minutes, it's difficult to explain exactly what has happened. But imagine, as I say, this has happened to you. There are some people who've left the country, they'll never go back, they're so traumatized. There are some people who fled down to Baghdad, um, to refugee camps there where we work. And those people are now in the middle of these massive protests with 400 people killed. At St. George's in Baghdad, they've cancelled services the fourth Sunday in a row. They've had to cancel services because the violence is so bad. And then there are the people who stayed in the north and they said, we are not going to be driven out of our own country. We are going to stay here and we're going to go back. And they're trying to rebuild their villages and their communities and we're trying to help them with little uh, employment projects. We're just about to open the biggest chicken farm in Karakot Well, congratulations. Fantastic. So that's just a few Good. examples. Good.
1: And t- tell us, Mike, what, you know, here we are in Winchester. Uh, we feel a bit humbled and a bit helpless when we hear these numbers. Uh, but we can do something, right? What can we do to support sisters and brothers in other parts of the world? So,
3: I will be at the back at the end. I've got loads of leaflets and magazines and so on. You can sign up for our email newsletter. We do a lot of campaigning, Simon. So, we were in 10 Downing Street about uh, three or four weeks ago, meeting with uh, one of the Prime Minister's top advisers about this situation. I was in the Foreign Office last week with Fayez, the, the priest from Baghdad, meeting with lord ahmed one of the foreign office ministers we are trying to lobby our own government to get them to put pressure on the iraqi government so we're trying to do that but we're trying to f- practically support people Great. so you can pray yep. that's very important yep. pray for all of these things you can get more information from us and the the cards which we gave out you should have had when you came in so what we try to do is make it a communication with the, the people there, the Christians there, either in Baghdad or wherever, and we get these translated into Arabic by one of our team, and then they are sent out. Sometimes we've, we've uh, then uh, sent them out digitally, sometimes we've literally taken them out, and they are a blessing to people. So that's a practical thing.
1: Great. Even. So in a sense, when we do that in a, in a moment, we need people to imagine that they're writing to an Iraqi Christian, yeah. and you can write in English unless your Arabic is good. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then that will be translated, and so an Iraqi Christian will literally will get that message.
3: Yeah, yeah, Great. absolutely, especially at this time of Christmas coming up. Can I just say one other thing? Of course, of course. On yeah. the front of that, you see that little candle on the front? That is a photograph that, that we took um, in Baghdad, um, out, like this, outside St. George's Church last year. And do you know what it speaks to me of? that wonderful verse i think it's in isaiah a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out and there is christianity christianity has been in iraq a lot longer than christianity in england by the way
1: exactly
3: yeah it's been there since the beginning when st thomas first went there Mm. so we we pray for that pray for the christians of iraq and and support us in any way you can and also, if you have any influence in this election campaign, maybe bring it up with the prospective candidates.
1: Good call. Um, should we? I think we want to give them a round of applause, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thank you. so much, Mike. We're going to do that in a second. I just want to, in a sense, uh, conclude uh, looking at that beatitude. Uh, so, Richard, can we go back to my slide number four, please? Which I think says how. That's it. Fantastic. Good. So, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How, how, how can there be blessing in the kind of things that we've just been hearing? Uh, well, maybe it's best to say, How not? I don't think the Bible teaches that when we are persecuted, We are instantly blessed by being delivered from our tormentors or by having them falling down on their knees to apologize. It does happen very occasionally, but as we've just heard, many Christians experience persecution as a lasting and a really tough challenge. So how is the blessing? I think in a number of ways, as far as the New Testament is concerned. Firstly, uh, there is, in in what Christians would call, a capacity for joy. In Acts 5, verse 41, this is what we read. Uh, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Let me read that again. They left the Sanhedrin where they'd been given a right telling off and a beating, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. When was the last time someone was having a real go at Christians in a conversation that you were part of, and it maybe even turned to you, and there was that uh, awkward moment where you had to decide, am I gonna uh, let this slide, or am I gonna be uh, upfront and honest about my faith? Little moments like that. I bet even if you stepped up to the plate, you weren't thinking, I'm so pleased that I have this chance to bear disgrace for the name of Jesus. And yet that's what the apostles thought and did. They had a, they had a joy that said, uh, we, we, are, we belong to Jesus Christ. And if that means that we get vilified and we get persecuted and we get beaten, then we count that as a privilege. And that is really daunting and really humbling to me. Uh, we know also... That there is a greater reward for us as Christians. Whatever we lose on this earth, even if that is uh, losing our life. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, wrote these words. This is what he says. And it's difficult to swallow uh, for all of us, uh, particularly if you are new to the faith. But I believe it's absolutely true. Paul said this. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is a man who was beaten, stoned, hounded from town to town, and yet he's willing to say, I'm going to put them in like a pair of scales. I'm going to put the sufferings and the beatings and the vilifications on this side, and I'm going to put the weight of glory and hope of Jesus in this side. I'm just going to see what happens, and that's what happens. The hope of glory always outweighs uh, any temporary suffering uh, that we had. Uh, Richard, next, pl- next slide, please. We finish then with why. Why is there blessing and why does Jesus end here? I think God blesses those who live his way. That's what the Beatitudes uh, teach at their heart. If we want blessing, then let's live God's way. And part of that is recognizing that if, if you live a beautiful life, and by beautiful I mean one that is in tune with Jesus, where more and more you're wanting what he wants and you're being who he is. Jesus teaches that if that is the way that we live, some people will not like it. Some people will take exception. Some people will mock I was running an Alpha course, uh, not my previous church, the one before. Uh, We had someone who came on that course. uh, She was a journalist. And she refused to tell any of her work colleagues or any of her families uh, that she was even coming to church, let alone to the Alpha course, because she knew that the, the barrage of antagonism and teasing and people trying to get under her skin would be so great. It was right at the end of the course that she came in one day and she said, I told my work colleagues that I'm coming to this Alpha course. And we all asked, well, how did it go? Hoping that they'd have all gone, great. But actually, she'd just been made an absolute pillory of in the office. And people were teasing her and mocking her. Those of us who want to live faithful, Christ-honoring lives both individually and as part of a church and as part of a group of churches, will, at time, be mocked. We will make people cross. And we have to understand and accept that. But we are in good company. Jesus says in verse 12, he says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets. So actually, if you read the Bible, it is in one sense a history of brave women and brave men who've said, I know what the wider culture is doing, I know what the wider culture is saying, but I'm with God, and I'm going to follow his way. It's a classic instance in the Old Testament where Micaiah, who was a prophet, he has to stand alone against 400 other prophets. They were all false prophets and are all saying exactly what the king wants to hear. So can you imagine taking on the whole of this room plus more in an argument? And Micaiah was the only person who stood up for God at that moment. And that's how it is sometimes for Christians. So what Jesus says in Matthew 10, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. So that's what we believe as Christians. It's enough. If they did it to Jesus, then I'm sort of okay with them doing it to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian who was killed in a Nazi concentration camp in 1945, he wrote this. He said, Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ." And it's therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. So yes, it's hard. But of course, it's hard for us in a slightly socially inconvenient way. Uh, But in Iraq, in Jordan, in Syria, in North Korea, in Eritrea, it's totally different. There, it's hard in the sense that you might be killed, or you might be denied a job, or you might be denied food, or you might know where to go to university. So part of what we're doing tonight is just reflecting, of course, that some of us have probably faced real vilification and hurt, but that for the many of us, it's just not the same. And so part of what we need to hear tonight is we need to be encouraged by the example of sisters and brothers. The last thing to say is of course, if we stand up for Jesus now, then it makes it easier for other people that we have a responsibility to stand and not to fade into the background. Some of the freedoms that we enjoy in our country today are because Christians in the past have been willing to stand up for what they believe in the public square. And we need to do the same. Of course we do it graciously, of course we do it intelligently, of course we do it respectfully, But if we stand up for Jesus now, it makes it easier for others. If you go to the Hoover Dam in America on the Colorado River, which is a massive great dam that was built, and there was a considerable loss of life when it was built. And there's a plaque next to the names of the people that died, and the plaque simply says, these people died that the desert might rejoice and blossom as the rose. And in God's economy... That is a deeper truth that we see time and time again. In the New Testament, when the church was persecuted, when Stephen, who was the first Christian to be killed after Jesus, when he was killed, that was all looking dreadful, what happened? Christians were forced to scarper out of Jerusalem. And as they scarpered out of Jerusalem, they took good news with them. And the church started to grow in other parts of the world. We've seen it time and time again, that when faithful Christians stay true to Jesus what happens is that even if they lose their life, growth and the kingdom comes. Now, what we'd like to do now is just have a little time. There are some pens here at the front. If you haven't got a pen with you, uh, hopefully everybody has got one of those little cards. Uh, if you haven't, are there many more at the back? Then maybe some more at the back if you can uh, get hold of those. We want you to imagine. Maybe it's the woman we saw in the video. Doesn't really matter. Or imagine somebody who's uh, is in that sort of situation. And you just you can pen two or three sentences to them that just express solidarity and love with them. Uh, so we'll, we'll have some music playing as we do that. Don't be in any hurry, uh, but if you can, if you need a pen, there's a big pile up here. If you haven't got a cards, then make your way to the back and we'll come back in a second.